So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to Matthew 25, or Bible apps. I'm going to have it on the screen here if you want to follow along there. Uh, if you're interested, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, the NLT, this morning. So reading the Bible is not for the faint of heart. Uh, recently, or as many of you know, Sarah's pregnant, and we've been uh, reading as a family through the Old Testament, and, and recently we were in Leviticus. And needless to say, that, that ain't a good book to be reading when you got morning sickness, right? Like, Aaron took the fat and the sinew of the thigh and the blood and threw it on the wall, and yeah, look at Sarah's face and just pale, struggling through. But the Bible can affect us in different ways, I think, as well, as we go through it. We're continuing in our series today called Jesus Said What? And this is a series, as the title intimates, it's about Jesus, and it's about some of the things that Jesus said. I know as I read Jesus' words, often I can receive sort of a visceral reaction to that. I, I feel like it's, I'm getting busted up on the inside a little bit as some of his truths cut through me. And in fact, one of my favorite bands, they're called Amber Lynn, they sing lyrics that say, lines and phrases like knives, your words can cut me through. Lines and phrases like knives, your words, they cut me through. So we can see these things affecting us. And even though these are some of the foundational truths, some of the core truths of the Christian faith, they can still surprise us. They can still shock us. They can still disturb us in ways. Often we don't see them coming. Uh, recently I was reading a story about a, a pastor and his family. They have a few kids, but one little girl in particular, she's six years old, and like most pastor's kids, she's trouble. And she was particularly naughty this one day, and uh, so they decided to levy a very intense punishment on her. She was going to be forced to miss the annual Sunday school picnic that upcoming Saturday. All the humanity, right? So she's very, very disturbed at what she's going to have to miss. And so through the week, she's very contrite and being a good girl. And so finally, the mom says, well, you know, she was doing pretty good. Maybe I was a little bit harsh. Maybe I should let her go to the picnic. So she goes to her daughter and says, you know what? You've been great this week. And as a reward, I'm going to let you go to the picnic, expecting, you know, smiles and hugs and all of that. But instead, she's met with this frown and this look of consternation. She goes, well, what gives? I, I thought you'd be happy to go to the picnic. And she said, but mom, it's too late. I already prayed for rain. <laughs> see, I, I laughed when I read that too because I, I didn't see that coming. Today you're going to be reading, as we go through this passage, you're going to be encountering two groups, two groups of people, and neither one of them are going to see what Jesus says coming. In fact, they're both going to be like, what? as he talks to them. It's going, to be, it's going to be confusing, but they are going to be learning a very, very important lesson that Jesus wants to teach, and this is the lesson that we all want to take away. So if you want to put something in your pocket today, this is our big idea, and that's loving Jesus means loving people. Loving Jesus means loving people. And we're going to walk through our passage today, and we're going to see that this is what Jesus is teaching. This is what he's saying. And then we're going to dig. We're not going to have to dig too deep to be able to see this. It's going to be pretty self-evident, but I want us to take a look at how this is going to impact us. But first, I want to give us just a touch of context. Jesus' uh, 
passage, the passage we're reading today is at the very end of what's known as the Olivet Discourse. It's a discourse or it's a, a, a talk that Jesus is giving at, on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives, Discourse, Olivet Discourse. It's a pretty cool name, pretty appropriate. And so anyway, Jesus has been telling over, if you read through Matthew, chapters 24 and 25, telling people that they need to be ready. Well, ready for what? Jesus says that there's a reckoning coming. And by that, he means that there's, there's judgment that's going to be coming. So he's, he's coming back. And, and when he gets back, this is what's going to be going on. So you need to be ready. But not only do you need to be ready, says Jesus, you, you need to be active. You see, right before our passage today is something called the parable of the talents. And this is where the guy goes away and leaves his people in charge of different things. And when you read it, there's this expectation that they're supposed to multiply. Jesus is saying, when I get back, I don't want to find out that you've been doing nothing. But what is this supposed to look like practically? So we're going to dig into our passage and, and get a little bit of a taste. We're going to start in chapter, so 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man, so that's Jesus' term for himself, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. So throne here is, is evident. Jesus is king, he's Lord, so he has his throne. But the image that we want to have in our minds also is he's going to be sitting in judgment. He's going to be ready to preparing himself to be able to judge the people. And we see this here, verse 32, all the nations, so that's y'all, right? That, that's, that's everybody. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. So just a quick note on a couple of things here. First, uh, right hand in the ancient Near East, but typically also in this part of the world, right hand is the side of power, it's prestige, it's pride, that's the good side, right? That's the side you shake hands with. Left side, you do something else with that we won't get into today often, but it's, left side isn't always the best, it's not the best side. You, you want to be on the right hand side. Also, this is depicting a future event. Jesus is talking about something that's not happening as he speaks, not something that happened in the past, but something to be looked forward to. And it's depicting that reckoning that I was talking about. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, to, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we see you, and you were hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, key on that, that brothers and sisters part, you were doing it to me. So essentially, the the big takeaway right away, as Jesus is speaking to the sheep, the righteous people, is how we treat or serve, or we can even extrapolate forward and even talk to or talk about others, is how we do to Jesus. 
This is what Jesus is saying. In fact, one of Jesus' uh, disciples, his, his name is John, he was known as the disciple that, that Jesus loved, the one that Jesus loved, he wrote in one of his epistles that if you say that you love God who you can't see, but you don't love your brother or sister who you can see, you're a liar. That's what John says. If you, if you don't love people, that you're not loving God. So we love God by loving others. But you'll read between the lines here, but how we do it matters. And, and I'm going to use uh, social media for a moment to, to illustrate this. Now, I'm not going to sit here and bash social media. I, I really think that there's a lot of cool things that can happen with social media. In fact, if, at one time I intimated that I probably wouldn't be married to Sarah if it wasn't for Facebook. So social media, good. God bless it. But there's problems with social media. There can be some drawbacks to it. And one of them is in the rise of something called slacktivism. Slacktivism. Now, you take activism and you put slack, so kind of lazy. Slacktivism is what we get. And this is where you help people by liking or posting or sharing their plight on social media. And so, although this can help raise awareness, which is obviously raising awareness is a good thing, this is the, the easiest and cleanest and more than likely least effective way of helping people. But it makes us feel good. Like. Ah, yeah. You know, post. Woohoo. Share. Oh, man, I'm holy. Right? Like, this is some of the ways that we can think about how we do social media. But what Jesus is talking about here is far more intimate. It's personal. It's entering into someone's space with them and being able to look them right in the eye and say, I see you. You matter. You have value. But just like a lot of other things that Jesus says, helping people like this, it seems obvious, right? Like, hey, Jesus, of course we're supposed to be helping people and doing all this stuff all the time and entering into their personal space. And, you know, of course we're supposed to do that. But when we start to try to put this in practice, sometimes it, it, it's hard, right? It doesn't always work out. So I, I want you to forget the religious part for a second. Forget the, the Christian part. I'm just, I'm going to tell you what I know about us. When faced with two choices, say you're faced with a choice between doing something that's gross or time-consuming or emotionally draining or not fun, and doing something that's fun and exciting and in your best interests or in the best interests of someone that you're interested in, typically, which, which one do we choose? Right? Pro like, more often than not, this one, Chris, you don't know me. Well, I, I don't have to know you because I know us. I know us. And I know tons and tons of selfless people. I mean, my, my wife's one of them. But nobody that I know is batting a thousand as it pertains to selflessness. Nobody I know is batting a thousand as it pertains to selflessness. And one day... This is going to be really important because, like all I'm saying, like I'm not wanting to, to, you know, this isn't bash everybody day. 
it's just important that we all know that we're, we're on a spectrum, right? We're on like a helping people spectrum. So this is not helping people at all, and this is helping people 100% of the time, and we're all somewhere in the middle. But somewhere on the spectrum, it, Jesus is saying that there's a line between not helping enough and helping enough. There's a line. And, and one day, he's saying that we're going to come face to face with Jesus. And at that moment, where that line is, is all of a sudden going to get really, really really important for us. Really important. But here's why this is actually an encouragement. Like, that, that I know this is heavy and we're like, oh man, you know. But this is actually really, really awesome. I'm going to give you two reasons why this is a, we should be really happy about this. First, of all the things that God could expect from us, this is pretty awesome. It's not like you're going to come before the throne and go, oh man, I had to help people. I had to love people. Come on, right? Like that's, can you imagine having that kind of reaction? So of all things God could expect out of us, loving people is pretty awesome. Like there's some deities that would maybe not want that as being the priority, right? God, as an option, this is pretty incredible. The second thing is though, and this one's really cool, Jesus' mama didn't raise no fool. Jesus' mama didn't raise no fool. When we read this, as we read this story, nobody knows, nobody knows where the line is. Nobody knows this is coming. They're all surprised, right? So I'm going to venture a guess, so stow your pitchforks and, and, and uh, torches, but I'm going I'm to hazard an interpretation here that what Jesus says is going to happen, it's not going to quite exactly happen like that. Jesus is using this as a means of motivation, and, and how do I know this? I know this because this morning when I read this passage to you, you, you know, right? When Jesus said this to his people, they know. They know what's going on. It's like back to the future too, right? You, we've been given a glimpse into the future, and we're being able to change our fortunes accordingly. It's like having the lottery numbers before the draw. Jesus is taking the curtain and ripping it back and saying, look, it's right for there to you to see. This is what I expect. You can love me by loving people. It's incredible. Now, I need to point this out at this particular moment, that this verse, who Jesus is talking about. So when we read this in its context, does Jesus mean everybody, or does Jesus mean a certain group of people? Well, in this context, Jesus is talking about believers. Jesus is talking about those who have agreed to follow him, who put their trust in him. He's saying, love them. If you love them, then it's like loving me. And before you go, wait a minute, why does Jesus only love believers? If you are here a couple of weeks ago, you heard Jim come up here, and he preached a sermon on love your enemies, right? So if you have your enemies here, and you got Jesus' followers over here, those, those dots connect, right? So, so Jesus, clearly, he wants everybody to be loved. But in this particular part, he's saying this is, this is what's going to happen. This is why you're, you need to be interested in loving this particular group of people. This is why you're interested in that. Uh, that 
verse I alluded to earlier when I was talking about John, he writes the full verse. It's in 1 John 4.20. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, and so the fellow believer, the Greek word there is uh, delphoi, so it's brother, or we would translate it brother or brothers and sisters for inclusivity's sake. Uh, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? So this makes sense as we read through our Bibles and we read things like the Apostle Paul, who's also pretty, he wrote half the New Testament, when he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he would know this better than anybody else because when Paul, who used to persecute and harm Christians, when he was hunting them on his way to Damascus, he got knocked down by a light. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, I don't even know who you are, Lord. I'm not persecuting you. And Jesus says, yes, you are. Every time that you lay a finger on someone who claims to follow me, you are persecuting me. So you love Jesus by loving others. So we see there, this is the biggest reason. So we see that this is Jesus' family. This is what he's talking about. This is the union that is there, spiritually speaking. But this is also a big lesson for us when we try to talk to people about why people matter. So when someone says, why does that fetus matter? Why does that person on death row matter? Why does that person on the street matter, they matter because they, all of us, are connected to God. We are connected to God. We were made and created in His image, and so we all have value and deserve to be treated as such. But Jesus is also saying, though, that those who have entered into a relationship with him have a personal, a deeper connection and therefore get pride of place. So Jesus is talking about his family and he is fiercely loyal with his family. He's not asking for much either, right? Like he's not saying, back up the Brinks truck and dump off millions of dollars for people in my family or buy my house or a skidoo or whatever. He's, all he's saying is just, it's just a little food, right? A little water, a little visit, some clothes. Setting the bar pretty low for us, right? Especially since we all make sure to to set aside all the time necessary to make sure this happens. Don't we? So how do we know who a Jesus follower is? This is a big question, and I'm going to take an hour and a half to answer it. No, just kidding. Uh, it's actually easier than you think because we, we say that faith, personal, faith is a personal thing, right? That's, we always hear that. Faith is, a, faith is a personal thing. Do it at home in your closet. And that, it's kind of true. You don't have to do it in your closet. But it, it's also very much more than that. It, it actually, remember a couple months ago I talked about falsifiable statements. Was anybody here for that? Falsifiable statements. Saying you're a Jesus follower is a falsifiable statement. Falsifiable statement means that it can be shown as false if you don't do something, right? So Jesus here is saying that 
a person who is a believer who's going to go right is someone that helps people, that clothes them, feeds them, and, and that sort of thing. That's how it's falsifiable. That's how he's saying you can be tested is how you treat others in need. But often I think people, we get, we get nervous or anxious about salvation, about having that relationship with God because I know lots of people that have said to me, intimated to me, that they pray for forgiveness and salvation often. It's almost every day. And that's sad because we're supposed to be able to know. And we're supposed to be able to be sure about this. But part of the problem is we don't get a confirmation email when we come to God, right? Anybody who, else, who here loves the confirmation email? You know, you, get, you make an online purchase or you sign up for something online, you get the confirmation email. I love the confirmation email. It's awesome. You know, so I, I have that email. Yes, confirming the sign up or purchase, but with the confirmation email, I also love the confirmation number, right? Love the confirmation number. Something goes sideways. I have the number, right? This is the proof of what I did, of what I signed up. There's no confirmation number with salvation, but if you love people, if you love them, it's all the proof you need. So these righteous ones, the the sheep, they helped others and therefore they identified themselves as Jesus' followers. They just didn't know, seemingly in this story, what they were doing. They didn't know the effect it was having. I remember uh, when Sarah and I, uh, we met in Poland, and then we didn't see each other for about a year afterwards. She was living in Quebec, and I was living in BC, and then she came to visit me. We were dating, and at, at that point, when she first came, it was starting to look like we weren't going to be dating. And uh, during that week and a half long visit, for some reason, I seemed to lose the ability to not do dumb things. I, I suspended that for, for that week and a half. I'm not joking. So one day I'm going to go pick her up and I'm walking out and I walk behind my car and I, I look at my license plate and I notice my insurance has run out. And I go, okay, well, that's, it's a good thing that I can drive my car, my uninsured car, on the road to get her and then to the insurance place because you're allowed to do that. I thought this. Like, this is, I, I actually thought this. Not, not only did I think it, but I, I actually believed it. So I go and I pick up Sarah and we go and we pull into the corner. I can see I can actually throw a rock and hit the insurance place. And I look in the rearview mirror and then I look at Sarah and, you know, we're kind of on a date. And I'm like, hey, you ever been pulled over by a cop before? <laughs> and she's Sarah, no. I'm like, well, you're gonna. And I pull into the parking lot. I'm seriously parking a spot. I can touch the front door of the insurance place and my car. Woo, woo. Really cool undercover car, nice cop, $550 ticket. Yes, all this, Sarah, all this civil obedience and fiscal responsibility can be yours. (laughs) Two days later, speeding ticket. Two days after that, coming out of my place, she's up in my car, I walk up, there's a fifth wheel with the little overhang. For some reason, I run underneath it on the sidewalk and come like spring forth like a gazelle, hit my head underneath, exposed screw, lots of blood. Sarah, are you okay? Yeah, fine, it's just a scratch. Ugh. 
life draining from my face. <sighs> See, this is what I'm thinking, man. I'm like, there's no way. How, this, this is a catastrophe. And this, I, I, I'm lost for words. It was so bad. I thought there is, there is absolutely nothing that is going to be able to redeem this, right? Like, I am a fool. But in the background, I was actually, as she was watching me deal with this stuff, because all I could do was just try to make hay, right? Like, just do the best with what I could, with my own stupidity. Do the best with what I could. I was winning her heart. It was awesome. I like it's by the grace of God, I was able to come through that. Now, like I said, I was only doing the best I could in the situation that I was in. The people in our passage today, right, the, the sheep, they don't understand. Like, as far as they're concerned, there's no carrot at the end of that stick. They're just doing, they're in a situation, oh, hey, there's somebody that's hungry, and they feed them. They do the best with what they can. So we, we cannot miss this word, and, and it's been a buzzword in our, in our men's study on Saturday mornings, and if you want one of, probably lots of words, but I'm going to say, if you want the one word that is for the Christian living, this is it, and it's intentionality. Intentionality. You can't miss the intentionality. In the story I just told him, by the grace of God, I turned a bad situation into a good one by being intentional about how I was trying to react. These folks, the sheep, are actively going out of their way and loving others. Because I think often we want to think of life in pina colada song terms, right? You know this pina colada, if you like pina coladas, right? That pina colada song, we like to think of it in those terms. You know, this is the song where the guy, he has a, he's married, but he gets sick of his wife, so he decides to answer a want ad, and so he goes and he meets up with his girl, and it turns out it's his wife, Wow! And it turns out they knew all of the same, or they liked all of the same stuff, and everything works out good in the end, despite their gross and, and base intentions. Everything just works out fine, for them in the end. So therefore, according to Pina Colada song Life Logic, it doesn't matter what we do because everything's just going to work out in the end, right? It's just, well, just do whatever we want. I got two words for that. No credence. I give that zero, zero credence. Because there is a tension. Like, yes, we need to know that following after a perfect person as imperfect people is going to get messy, right? It's, we're not going to be able to do it perfectly all the time, but this much is clear. You can't love someone by accident. You, can't like you can accidentally show someone some love, but you, you rarely feed, clothe, visit, quench the thirst people by, you know, I got a cup of water and, oh, you know, oh, my water spilled right into your mouth. I, I, you quenched your third by accident, or oh man, I'm, I'm directionally challenged, and oh hey, I'm in a prison, and oh you're here too, hey, let's visit, right? Like this isn't, these things don't happen, right? Like we, there, there needs to be some sort of intentionality, so this is what Jesus is saying. You, you love other people, or sorry, you love me when you love other people intentionally, intentionally. All right, I'm going to jump into a new version of the Bible, a different version of the Bible. This is the Keith Green version of the Bible. For those of you who don't know Keith Green, he was a singer-songwriter, uh, pretty famous preacher, 
guy, and he wrote a song about this, so I'm going to do that. Uh, verse 41. Then he shall turn on his, turn to those on his left, the goats. Depart from me, you cursed ones, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, out in the cold, in exposure, and you sent me away. I was a stranger, and I knocked at your door, but you didn't open, told me to go away. I was sick, racked in pain upon my bed, and I begged, and I prayed, and I pleaded that you come, but you didn't. I was in prison, and I rotted there. Prayed that you'd come. I heard your programs on the radio, and I read your magazines, but you never came. Depart from me. But... But, but Lord, there must be some mistake. When? Lord, I, I, mean, I mean, when were you hungry, Lord, and we didn't give you something to eat? And, and, and Lord, when were you thirsty and we didn't give you something to drink? I mean, that's not fair. Well, w w would you like something now? Would, would one of the angels like to go out and get the Lord a hamburger and a Coke? Oh, you're not hungry. Yeah, I, I lost my appetite too. Lord, uh, Lord, when, when were you naked? I mean, Lord, that's not fair either. Lord, we don't know what size you wear. Or Lord, when, when were you a stranger, Lord? You, you weren't one of those creepy people who used to come to the door, were you? Oh, Lord, that wasn't our ministry, Lord. We just didn't feel led, you know? Lord, when were you sick? What did you have anyway? I mean, at least it wasn't fatal. Oh, it was? Well, I'm sorry, Lord, I would have sent you a card. Lord, just one last thing we want to know. When were you in prison, Lord? What, what were you in for anyway? You know, I had a friend at Leavenworth. Enough. Verse 45, and he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Lines and phrases like knives your words can cut me through. We need to see, though, that people here, the goats, the ones on the left, they're not guilty of wrong action. They're guilty of no action. You can just picture them standing in front of Jesus. Man, Jesus, if only I knew it was you, I wouldn't have said no to doing all of these things. If only I knew. I had to talk to a friend the other day who had an unfortunate potluck incident. He was cleaning up uh, afterwards and noticed there was a casserole that had been barely touched. So he looks at it and he goes, well, figures to the person standing next to him. I mean, look at it. Turns out the person standing next to him was chef of said casserole. Yikes. If only I knew... You were the person who made it. I wouldn't have said that, exclaimed my friend. If only I knew, I would have done different. Or in the case of our goats, I would have done something. How many times have you thought that? Or said that? If only I knew. 
The dialogue between Jesus and the goats had been fleshed out a little bit. It might have been recorded like this. Jesus, you didn't feed, clothe, etc. me. Goats, when did I not do those things for you? Jesus, Jesus, every time you had the opportunity to do it for others. Goat, if only I knew that was how things worked. Jesus, I shouldn't have to tell you that helping others is the thing that you're supposed to do. should be obvious, by, at least by everything else I've said and done. But let's just pretend for a minute, let's, let's pretend that Jesus never said that. We don't have the Bible and, and whatever. It, it should hopefully be obvious to us if we open our eyes, as we look around the world, that there is a darth, that there is a, a lack, a deficit of sustenance in this world. And it's, it's not just food. It goes far beyond that. Mother Teresa, pretty, pretty famous for helping people, she wrote, the greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. Man or woman will not live by bread alone. So loving Jesus means loving people. And finally, verse 46, and they will go away, the the goats, into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. At this point, I I need to, to point out that this doesn't mean loving people, helping people doesn't mean that you get put into or enter into God's good graces, into relationship with him, and by that I mean heaven. The only way that that's accomplished is by putting faith and trust in Jesus, asking for forgiveness of sins and doing that. But as we mentioned before, there's, there's a kind of a caveat to that, right? Because there's a, there's a second part. There's almost like a big capital and And that involves following Jesus. So what we've talked about today, this passage, is what it means to, in a very simplistic way, follow after Jesus. So, in fact, this is actually a major read-between-the-lines underlying truth of our passage today that we cannot lose. And that's salvation is the starting point, not the finish line. Salvation, being saved, isn't the finish line. It doesn't just stop. Woohoo! Right? Got my fire insurance. I'm good. It's moving forward. It means becoming a Christian knows you become a follower of Jesus, and to follow him implies action. It's like, friends, seriously, this is, this is no joke. This is no joke. I get that spending time and money, like it's going out of style, is, is just it's ubiquitous in our culture. But is it worth your soul? One of the cool things about God's universe is that realistically we can do whatever we want. We're free. Except fly, which is kind of unfortunate. I wish that wasn't true, but perhaps it's a wish for heaven. But realistically, we're free to choose to do most things 
And you know this because you see people choose to do insane things on the daily. Like cheer for the Leafs. Seriously, like who would do that? Oh. But no, but actually seriously though, when we, when we think about this, we are free, people choose, all you need to do is have a TV or the radio or the web to know that people, if you just look in the past week and a half, people choose to do horrific things all the time. And as Adam and Eve found out with their one single rule, actions have consequences, or in the case of our, pas- our passage today, no action has consequences. Freedom isn't free from responsibility. Freedom isn't free from responsibility. And Keith Green, he says that the only difference between the sheep and the goats in our passage today is what they did and didn't do. It's the only difference is what they did and didn't do. It came down to choice. Verse 46, and they will go away into eternal punishment, and the, but the righteous will go into eternal life. This verse speaks for itself, I think. Let's take a deep breath. I know this passage, man, it, I've been waiting around in it for a month and a half, and it is heavy. It's heavy. It is overwhelming. And it's easy to take all of this on and either push it to the side and say this is too much for me to handle, or to try to take it all on our shoulders and be crushed under the weight of it. It's polarizing. But friends, we're not in this alone. We are not in this alone. You can't do everything yourself, nor are you being asked to, but make no mistake, you are being asked to do something. Good news, and we're all part of a bigger group, and each of us has a role to play. Uh, At this point, I just want uh, to ask Dave and and Giselle, can you please just stand up for a, uh, I know. Please, just just for a second. I need to introduce you guys all to David and Gisela. Everybody wave to Dave and Gisela. Gisela and Dave, wave. David is an elder here at Oak Ridge, and, and his lovely wife, Gisela, they together lead our care ministry here at Oak Ridge. They lead our care ministry. And so as I've been talking, if you're like, man, you know what? I, I all of a sudden have a hankering to love on somebody attentionally. I want you to go talk to them. And they'll connect you with somebody. Or you can come talk to me, and then I'll connect you with them. And then they'll <laughs> connect you with somebody. Because this is their wheelhouse, right? This is their gifting and they do it well. But we're all called to take part. I think we as people, we all want to know the way to eternal life. Right? But today, Jesus has been talking about the way of eternal life. The way of eternal life. Eternal life isn't about living longer. It's about living better. It's about living in such a way as we were meant to when God created us, especially as individuals and gifted us. Isn't that awesome? At Oak Ridge, I think this happens a lot, and many of us don't realize the implications of it. There's lots of cool things going on here. But what if we did? What if we did look at people like this? What if 
when others are in need, if we started looking at one another as if we're Jesus? What if we loved other people like they're Jesus? What do you you think would happen then? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've been